Good morning. It's a, a tremendous grace for me to be here. My wife has strep throat. Um, LJ's running the temperature, Lorelai Joy. And then Lucy is uh, coughing like a chant. We call her Typhoid Mary. And so three, three out of six made it. Lydia, Grace, and Samuel are with me. And uh, I'll say this. Gary Yoakum can't say this. Gary Yoakum, as you know, is one of your elders. He's the ministry coordinator of our association. And uh, he can't say this, but I'll say this. And don't ask him to affirm this in public. He may do it in private. There's really only, I think, uh, in our association, um, several good churches that I would in good conscience uh, send people to. And um, churches that are gospel center, that have godly, faithful, competent leadership, that God is doing good things through, that guests are coming regularly, people are being converted, we're seeing baptisms. And so if you're here as a guest, um, you really don't need to pray about whether you should be here. Um, this is a good church. And so just um, take my word for it, and God is doing a good thing in and through this church. It's really special to be here. And um, I serve first. I say this regularly. I serve as a husband first, dad second. I say that because early on in my marriage, I got that um, backwards. I would say I was a pastor, and then I would talk about I'm a husband and a dad, and that created a lot of tension and turmoil in my marriage. And so I'm a husband first, dad second, pastor third, and then I serve with the North American Mission Board fourth. And as Joshua talked about, um, I'll share about 15 seconds about what I do. My job is to work with associations, churches, pastors, sending churches, supporting churches to see church plants started. Less than 4% of evangelical churches, plant churches meaning uh, churches that believe that the Bible is the word of God, that there's one way to heaven, that there really is a real place called heaven and a real place called hell. Uh, Trinity, basic doctrines of the historic Christian faith. Less than 4% of evangelical churches start churches. And so that's not just Southern Baptist churches. That's churches that are evangelical, like I just described. And so I'm grateful for Joshua. Joshua is going to head to Pittsburgh and plant a church. And um, my job is to help um, people do that in and through the state of Indiana. We have about 465 churches in Indiana. We have about a million more people than Kentucky has. Kentucky has about 2,100 churches more than we do. And so there's a lot of work to be done in Indiana. I'm praying two things. I'm praying that God would um, give us workers for the harvest. He gives a prophetic word in Luke 10 too, that the harvest is plentiful. It's a prophetic word. And then he says, so pray for laborers or workers. And this church has a lot of horsepower, a lot of horsepower. And there was a lot of horsepower then, and there's even more horsepower now because Chase is a much more competent leader than I am and theologically astute, handsome, godly, humble, all those things. And there's a lot of horsepower in this church. And when you grow close to Jesus and you grow up in Jesus, there should be and there necessarily is an outward-oriented posture to your lives. And so as Chase has talked about and your elders have talked about, um, Oak Park and Graceland, as I served there, as we were singing just earlier, a holy huddle to just get big. Our job Muncie and in Gary and in Hammond, and Kokomo and all the places of Indiana that need the gospel of Christ. And so I've been praying for laborers, and I'm also praying for people that would be wholly dependent upon the Father, that are faithful, teachable, and humble, or as I like to say, fat people. I'm praying for fat people, faithful, available, teachable. I have a lot of time on my hands, but I don't have time for people who aren't faithful, available, and teachable. So if you want to plant a church, or you're curious, or you're intrigued, or um, you would just like to ask some questions, I'd love to talk with you about that. I can give you my contact information. 
Hey, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Philippians 1, verses 9 through 11. And I'm going to read that in just a moment. It is a grace to be here. It's a tremendous grace. Um, Larry Riley, our lead pastor at Graceland, he and I were talking. And I said, I'm, 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 I don't have much community yet. And I've been traveling quite a bit. And I was talking about how I was spending time with with some friends, um, some people that really need a lot of help, and there's lots of things going on in their life, and so they've asked me to be with them. I won't mention their names, Dana and Cameron Paul, lots of problems, <laughs> and uh, other people that uh, my wife and I really love, and so my heart is really here. Is this being, is this being recorded? It is. Larry, my heart's at Grayson, but it's also here at Oak Park, and I, I really love this church. I really love this church a lot, and I am so grateful to be with you. And I really would rather just be sitting and listening to Chase, but Chase is off um, gallivanting and, and resting, and he needs that. He works hard. I know you're going to throw him a, a little party for his um, completion of his doctorate. I hope and pray, if I'll take a little pastoral liberty, that you're going to honor Sarah as well, because she's as much to be celebrated and affirmed and honored as Chase is, and I would even say more so, because Sarah's, Chase married so far out of his league with Sarah, <laughs> and she's so kind and so patient, and she's a tremendous homemaker. And Chase and I regularly talk about how God's grace is manifest in our spouses. So honor Sarah, and then as a side note, maybe make mention of Chase. Philippians 1, 9 through 11. Let's stand together as we read God's word. I don't know if it's on the screen, but uh, I'll read it. Let's read it out loud together. The Bible says to not neglect the public reading of Scripture, verses 9 through 11. I'm reading out of the ESV. All right, verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is God's word to us. May he bless the preaching of it. You may be seated. I was uh, at the North American Mission Board a couple months ago, and we are going around the table sharing requests um, that we wanted each other to pray for. And I said, would you pray that my kids would grow up and they would love Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, that they would see it in our home and that they would hear the gospel in the Millican household. And I said, I'm praying for uh, God to set apart planters, men that want to plant churches in and through our state. And this brother to my right uh, said, I, I'm just praying that I would grow in intimacy with Jesus. And here's what I thought, just to be transparent with you this morning. I, I kind of scoffed in my heart. I said, here we are, we're, 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 we're thinking about tangible things, um, different efforts that we're, we're engaging with. And, and I, I thought, this guy hasn't thought through what we're asking each other to do. And so he just kind of did the pat answer. I'm just praying for intimacy with Jesus and love for Jesus. And I, I have since repented of that many, many times. And the Spirit of God's brought that to my mind because that's really what I want. Um, I, I really want to grow in intimacy with Jesus. I want to I wanna love Jesus more. I really just want to love Jesus more. Um, I pray that my life would be a fragrance in my home and to those around me that they would say, man, that guy really loves Jesus and there's something compelling about his life. And so when Paul prays, he prays this. Now, you've probably received a text message or an email or somebody caught you in the lobby when you're walking in and say, hey, hey, I'm praying for you. And it's probably 
um, tied to maybe a circumstance in your life, maybe a vocation, maybe problems at home in your marriage or, or with a kid or you're interviewing or, or something going on, maybe just a praise. Hey, I'm praying for you. And, and you might know what they're praying for, but oftentimes when somebody sends you a text, hey, just had you on my mind today and I was praying for you. And oftentimes I, want, I wonder, are they praying that they're so thankful that they're not like me or praying? What, like, what are they praying? What's the content of their prayer? Paul prays for the saints in Philippi, and I think this is a prayer that we could adopt as our own. In fact, I, when I text friends, I'll say, hey, I just want you to know I'm praying for you, and here's what I'm praying. I'm praying that your love may abound more and more with all knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes with Jesus Christ with the glory and praise of God. So I pray that regularly for people in this room and friends of mine. He prays that their love may abound more and more, but this really isn't the end I'm sorry, it's not the goal. It's really a means to an end. He prays that their love, and I would say uh, we can pray for each other's love, that our love may grow and cultivate and flourish so that there's some things that will happen in our life that we will be able to, as believers in Christ, determine what really matters, what really counts. And... I feel like sometimes when I come back to a place where I served, I need to start out with, like, apologies. Because when I look back over the course of 17 years in pastoral ministry, there are things that I majored on that really were minors. There were things that I got all hot and bothered by that I should not have gotten hot and bothered by. They were minor issues, and I'm growing, and I'm grateful that I'm growing. I certainly have not arrived I'm growing in terms of understanding as I evaluate my own life and the landscape of my life, really what matters and really what does not matter. He prays that their love would abound. Now, the word love is a word that we just got done um, celebrating Valentine's Day. Um, my wife and I really don't celebrate that. Um, we said long time ago that we would not celebrate it, but it was actually one of those things that I meant it and she didn't. And, and so I would wait till February 15th when everything was on sale uh, after Valentine's Day and get all those chocolates and things for 75, 90% off. And my wife doesn't really care for chocolates or flowers. She'd really rather have a Route 44 slush from, from Sonic. And it's only $1.50 during a happy hour, which is fantastic for me. Um, but, but this is not the kind of love that, that Paul's talking about. He's not talking about Valentine's Day love, romantic, sentimental, sweet interactions, an emotional, physical, give-and-take type of love. The love that Paul's referring to is a self-giving love. It's a love that is expensive, a love that is willing to be inconvenienced, a love that is uh, called to sacrifice. It's a love that invests in others and is willing to meet other people's needs regardless of whether or not people respond with appreciation. It's easy to love people when they reciprocate love, right? It's easy to love people when they show their appreciation. It's hard to love people who don't reciprocate love and don't show their appreciation. All the time I'm confronted with people. In fact, this is the way that I interact with a lot of people. Sometimes people love me and I don't reciprocate love and I don't show my appreciation. This is the love that Paul's talking about. It's the Love that we see in the great hallmark verse of the Christian faith. For God so loved the world that he, he gave. He gave when we were rebels. When we were nonconformists. That we did not want anything to do with God. We were separated from God and we were fine. 
and had no desire and inkling in our heart for him, and yet God shows us his love for us. It's what we see in 1 John 3.16. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to serve and lay down our lives for one another. This is his prayer. I pray that your love, that type of love, this expensive, sacrificial, inconvenience love would abound more and more. And God wants us to have a strong, fierce, rich love that puts others first. If you want a good marriage, drink from the reservoir of this type of love. If you want a full, deep life in your family, if a church wants a full, deep, rich culture, this is the type of love that we need to have, a love that is willing to be inconvenienced and puts other people's needs before their own. This is why Paul says elsewhere in Philippians 1, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What is the gospel of Christ? It's the fact that he laid down his life and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. It's the same type of love he says in Philippians 2. Let, have your mind, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What is this mindset? That we're not to have selfish ambition or conceit, but we're in humility to put others before ourselves. And the amazing truth of this type of love is that Jesus loves us, and yet he knows us completely. He knows us every single in and out, every nook and cranny. He loves us, and yet he graciously, kindly gives us his love, gives us himself. We see that this love that he prays would grow and flourish and abound and bound is a love that's guided by two things. It's guided by knowledge and discernment. They go hand in hand. So I pray that your love would abound more and more, but not just an aimless, arbitrary love, a love that's self-giving, that's to be inconvenienced, that thinks of others, a love that's rooted in the gospel of Christ. And this love is to be constrained, if you will, by knowledge and discernment. So you have heard in culture, love is blind. Well, the type of love that we see in the scriptures is not a love that is blind. It's discriminating love. It's a love that's discriminatory. It actually has eyes wide open. And the love that we are to have is a love that is to be guided by knowledge and discernment. Now, the knowledge that Paul is writing about is, is not just the accumulation of knowledge. right? So I pray that your love may abound more. So I need to go to course seminars. I need to go to these discipleship classes. I need to read these books. I need to be under the preaching. Yes, 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 that's fine. But the knowledge that he's referring to is the grass, a mature grass of the gospel. I pray that your love may abound more and more with knowledge that you would have a mature grasp of the gospel of Christ, who Christ is, his ways, his truth, his personhood. So here's some examples of what that looks like and what it doesn't look like. This is a 16-year-old girl. She says, yes, I know Jesus loves me. I know he's saved me. He's going to take me to heaven, but what good is the love of Jesus in my life when no boy at school will even look at me? She knows all the truths about being a Christian, but they were not a comfort to her. What was more energizing, what was more consoling, what got her attention was the cute boy at school rather than the truth and the promise and the identity that's found in Jesus. She had the opinion that Jesus loved her, and she was probably a believer, right? You could talk about the case scenario if she wasn't or she was, but she was sympathetic to the things of God. She may have believed upon Christ, but in those moments... 
Her, her functional theology was inconsistent with her confessional theology. I know Jesus loves me. I, I know the gospel of Christ says this, but when I think about my life and circumstances, it actually doesn't bring a whole lot of bearing upon my life. Right? We would say that 16-year-old needs to have a more mature grasp of the gospel of Christ. You say, Nate, take it easy. They're 16. All right, well, here's where you come in. Well, what about the reality of an eternal punishment for those that don't know Jesus? Like the Bible teaches that there's an appointment for every man, woman, boy, and girl that we're going to experience that is inescapable, and we'll spend either an eternity in heaven or an eternity in hell. Does that truth bother us? Do you look at the people where you work and your neighbors and your friends and your family members and when you think about where they are do you inquire do you engage do you build a relationship do you pray when's the last time you wept for somebody that does not know Christ you say well um, I, I need to grow in that yeah I think a mature grasp in my own heart a mature grasp of the gospel is going to lead us to see people as Jesus sees people all of us have room to grow in this knowledge that Paul says our love would abound in. He says our love is to abound in knowledge and all discernment, or literally the word means all insight. I pray that your love may abound with knowledge, a mature grasp of the gospel, a deep grasp and embracing of the gospel of Christ, but also with discernment, all insight, moral perception. Genuine love, biblical love, leads people to live in the real world with eyes wide open as opposed to the superficial love that ignores realities because they're fearful of offense or resentment. I'm going to love you. I want to make some statements. I'm going to have a conversation. I'm going to make an appeal. I want to have a conversation. Here's my convictions. Here's what I believe. But I don't want to say those things, and I don't want to share those things, and I don't want to appeal to you because I'm, I'm afraid of offense or resentment. True Biblical love is a love that sees truth, embodies truth, embraces truth, speaks truth, pursues truth, hears truth, shares truth, defends truth. The love that Paul prays for the saints in Philippi, the love that I think Jesus prays for us is a love that has eyes wide open, that's informed by a mature grasp of who Jesus is, specifically the gospel of Jesus, and an insightful discernment. This love leads to three things, he tells us. Three things. So the prayer is really kind of a means to an end. I pray that your love may abound more and more with all knowledge and discernment. For what purpose? He tells us in verse 10 and 11, so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ of the glory and praise of God. First, he says, when you have this type of love, it's going to result in you and I approving what is excellent. The phrase, approving what is excellent, is the imagery of a buyer evaluating competing products and putting them to the test before you purchase one that stands out from the rest. It's our ability to make proper assessments of life. Some things matter and some things don't. Growth in making decisions. Growth in making decisions. And hopefully as a Christian, you are growing in your wisdom of approving what is excellent 
and things that are not excellent. And the Christian life is, is meant to be a life where you daily, routinely uh, embrace rhythms and disciplines and habits. And as you embrace rhythms and habits and disciplines, you will grow in your taste for the things of God. Like if somebody came to me and says, hey, Nate, I, I just, I don't have a heart for congregational worship. I just don't desire to sing the songs. I don't, I don't desire to be under the Bible. I don't desire to read the Bible. Well, tell me what your life looks like. Tell me what the rhythm of your life looks like. Tell me about your disciplines. Man, I have not been in the Word for weeks and months. Well, tell me how, how when you talk to the Father, you're just talking to him, listening. Do you, do you spend time? No, I haven't, I haven't spent time talking with him and listening and None of that. I said, hey, man, I'm totally with you. I wouldn't want to do any of those things either. I wouldn't want to go to worship. I wouldn't want to sing. I wouldn't want to read the Bible. I wouldn't want to talk to God. Habits help us grow in our taste for the things of God. This is why high school students and collegiate students, who you are now more than likely is who you're going to be for the rest of your life. Now, I know there are exceptions, but who we are in these very formidable years is probably who we are going to be when we're 35, when we're 62, and God forbid when we're 127. Like who we are now is, is actually championing who we're going to be later, which is why it's so important now to begin developing these practices and rhythms. And think about, think about what Paul says. If your love for Jesus isn't growing with an, an embracing of a mature grasp of the gospel, your love may abound with knowledge and an insight so that you may approve what is excellent. If your love's not growing, you're not going to be able to approve what is excellent. Have you ever wondered, and don't, you know, do this to somebody or like do that, have you ever wondered why? Why does that person make that decision? Like they routinely make unwise decisions. They routinely pursue something that is not excellent. They regularly make choices that are harmful and dangerous. Paul says the reason oftentimes people do not choose and make decisions that are excellent is that their love is not growing. It is not abounding and abounding, cultivating with a mature grasp of the gospel and with discernment. Because if you're doing that, he says, then you will be able to, as a result of that, as a result of a growing love for Christ with knowledge and discernment, you are going to be able to discern what is excellent. Oftentimes, the reason why people aren't making excellent choices Foolish choices, harmful choices, choices that are destructive to the people around them is because they're not growing in their love for Jesus. They don't have a mature grasp of the gospel. They're not growing in discernment. Paul wants the saints in Philippi, and I want for my own life, I want to grow in my love for Jesus. I mean, just plain and simple. I want to grow in my love for Jesus. Just like that brother two months ago, I want to grow in my intimacy of Jesus so that I will be able to discern what is excellent, what really matters, what really counts in life. So let me give you some examples. Are you committed in your leisure time to what is best? Are you committed in your leisure time to what is best? All right? So what would be um, an example of what is best. At 2.20 today, 
you should watch the University of Kentucky Wildcats. That's what is best for you. And I'm speaking with pastoral authority there, okay? Are you committed in your leisure time to what is best, TV, social time? This morning, I got up, I was doing my quiet time, and I looked at my phone, and there's this little app, option on my phone. I don't, I don't even know how to get it off. It says, this is how much screen time you've engaged in the last week. And I don't, I don't like that option. When I see that option, I think about all, it was like four hours and 29 minutes. You say, well, that sounds so ungodly. I want to check your phone, okay? After, let me check your phone, all right? And I thought about four hours and 29 minutes. What did I do? Like, I don't remember four and a half hours on my phone. And I love to say it was like reading the Bible, my Bible app. It wasn't, okay? Or sending text messages, praying for people. That was probably some of it, but it certainly wasn't four and a half hours. It was ESPN. It was email. It was Facebook. It was other things. Four hours and 29 minutes. Was that the best use of my time? I'll leave you to determine that. But here's some other things that we could do. What, when's the last time we, we picked up a book or a resource to help me grow in my understanding of the Bible? Hey, I need help in terms of improving my devotional life. Or what about your relationships with your family or your spouse or your kids? Do you ever pause in the busyness of your life and say, how can I strengthen my marriage? How can I improve my relationship with my kids? What really matters? What doesn't? Your money, do you see your money and the skills and the opportunity? As a stewardship, do you find joy in giving and supporting gospel work here in your church? Has your commitment to people grown over the years where you love people more rather than growing in cynicism and a cantankerous spirit? Like the older I get, I have to really fight because I want things my way. Anybody else? Four of us? Yeah, I mean, we, we have to, the, the longer we're alive, we have to fight against preferences and loving people. Are you growing in your love for people? Uh, sharing your home and the gifts that God has given you. And this is not box-checking Christianity, okay? I'm not talking about box-checking Christianity because the last thing I want to do is lay guilt because guilt is a horrible motivator. All it does is produce angst and stress and resentment. But if our love for Jesus is growing, if our love for Jesus is growing, these are the type of decisions we're going to make. We're going to think about our money. We're going to think about our time. We're going to think about what we watch. We're going to think about where we go. We're going to think about what really matters in life. Why? Because a believer is somebody who's been transformed by grace. It happened at a moment in time, but Jesus is relentlessly committed to every ounce of your being growing in love for him. Like he's relentlessly committed to us growing in our love for Christ. So what is best? So that you may approve what is best. That's why when your leaders here at Oak Park, you've got great godly leaders when your leaders stand up at a family meeting and talk about this decision and here's what we need to do, it they're, not, they're not infallible. They're not, a, they're not above making mistakes, but by and large, these are men that uh, want to pursue what is best, what is excellent. Secondly, he says, if you have this type of love that's growing in knowledge and discernment, and as a result, you're going to do it, you're going to be able to approve what is excellent. He says, secondly, you're going to be pure and blameless Filled with the fruit of righteousness. I think all three of those phrases go together. The fruit of righteousness, purity, and blamelessness. 
Now, when you hear the word pure, maybe even blameless, you might think stodgy, boring, prudish, self-righteous, holier than thou. There we go. Legalism, works righteousness. Um, That's not what he's saying. Remember, this letter was written in the time of the Greco-Roman culture, which was licentious and ungodly and immoral. And nothing has changed, has it? Nothing has changed. Solomon wrote, there's nothing new under the sun. It's true today, there's nothing new under the sun. A love for God is a love that will manifest itself in making wise choices, approving what is excellent and holy living. If I love Christ and my love for Christ is growing in a mature grasp of the gospel with discernment, I'm going to be able to approve what is excellent and I'm going to be holy. I'm going to be pure. The word pure is a word that means sincerity or a lack of a mixture of motives, a transparent integrity, if you will. That a believer is someone who's to grow in their love for Christ, constrained by a knowledge of who Jesus is and discernment. And as we grow in that love, we're going to be able to approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless. The word blameless, as you probably understand it to be, mean, it means uh, someone who is not stumbling in their sin, not stumbling in their walk, and is not causing other individuals to stumble. It, it means that our lives should commend our belief to others. How we live, how we interact, the responses that we give should commend our faith to others. He says that you'll be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Actions, words, thoughts that honor God. So let me, let me summarize this real quick. He prays that the saints in Philippi, and you can pray for your own heart, as I pray for my own heart, that our love for Jesus would grow more and more in what? In knowledge and in depth of insight so that we will be able to discern what is best and what is truly excellent for the purposes that you and I would be pure and blameless in our words, actions, thoughts, affections, motives with an eye or a view to the day of Christ. He says that, pure and blameless, For the day of Christ, you say, okay, Nate, let me just pause there for a second, time out. If I'm not growing in my love for Jesus, that's constrained by knowledge of who Jesus is with discernment, and I'm not regularly approving what is excellent, and I'm not being pure and blameless, I'm slipping up, I'm struggling, I'm in a season of sin, I'm having a hard time. Are you saying for the day of Christ, there's going to be a day where I'm going to wake up and God's going to say, gotcha, you've not been doing what you uh, needed to be doing and you're going to be condemned? No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not, that's not what Paul's saying. Who's he writing to? The saints in Philippi. He's writing to believers. So, There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. We have freedom in Christ. What he is saying is that you and I need to understand that we are moving towards that day. What is that day? That day when we will see him face to face. And our lives are continually meant to keep our eyes 
on the heavenly prize, on our citizenship, which is in heaven, because this world wants us to have a tight grip on our possessions and our roles and our responsibilities. And oftentimes, maybe not you, but oftentimes me, I have a tight grip on the things of the world and I have a loose grip on the things of heaven and my eyes are taken off of Christ and I forget I'm heaven bound. And Paul says, understand that you're, you need to grow in your love for Christ, constrained by knowledge, constrained by discernment, so that you can approve what is excellent, make good choices, wise choices, right choices, so that you will be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, because we're moving towards that day. We're moving towards that day. Just last night, a friend of mine texted me um, and said, hey, did you know that, that Ken Golba passed away? Ken Golba was in his late 50s. He had the mother of all surgeries about seven years ago, six years ago, where they take out all of your organs and they bathe them in chemotherapy. It's called the mother of all surgeries. It's like the last ditch effort to try to like give, give a person a chance to live. So they took out all of his organs and they bathed them in chemotherapy, chemo, radiation. And for five, six years, he's been fighting like a champ. And yesterday he passed away. Well, it's sad, isn't it? It's sad because, I mean, our, our, his body's a shell. He's not there. But it's also glorious because now he's experienced purity and blamelessness. He's experienced the object of his faith. He gets to see Jesus face to face. We're moving towards that day. A death is a reminder that this is not our ultimate goal. It's not our home. It's not our destiny, so stop living like it. So stop living like it. He says, thirdly and lastly, you'll be able to approve what is excellent, so be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness that results in what? Glorifying and praising God. God gets the credit. God gets the praise. Jesus is to be at the center of the world, not us. He's to focus, not us. We want to take credit. I want to take credit. God gets the credit. How does this happen? Verse 11, through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. It's only possible to live rightly. It's only possible to have right motives and right affections and right thoughts and right actions and right words and right choices and right decisions. It's only possible to do all that through Jesus Christ. In the first 11 verses, seven different times, Jesus Christ is mentioned. Then in chapter 1, verse 21, chapter 3, verse 8, chapter 3, Verses 8 through 9, Jesus is the pathway by which God will answer Paul's prayers for his friends. How are they going to approve what is excellent? How are they going to have this commitment to be pure and blameless? How are they going to do that? The answer to that question is Jesus. How does God change selfish people into people who care more about others? How does God make a shift in our affections and our actions where we're primarily concerned about our own interests and move to being a person that's concerned about others? The answer is Jesus, right? Verse 11, through Jesus Christ, it starts a new life. Think about this. I know that, that Nick and Law had a baby several months ago, and the baby is stinking cute. Tyler and Dominic or Dominique are having another baby. And so when you have a child, like the baby was not there, and now the baby's there, 
right? The baby, baby was in the womb or through adoption. The baby was not there, and the baby is here. And now you have a new life in your family. And it's a reminder that you actually have to care for this baby. You've got to be sacrificial and inconvenienced, and your comforts kind of go by the wayside. And a new life brings a new perspective of what you need to do with your life. It's the same thing with Jesus. If you're a new person, if you've been given a new birth, John chapter 3, if you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness, Colossians chapter 1, into the kingdom of the beloved Son, you are a new person with new affections and new motives and a new desires and all of that because of why? Because a new life has come about and he has saved us and is saving us and he's committed to the lifelong transformation of your life and my life, that we will be more and more, more and more, more and more conformed to the image of Jesus, that we would look, talk, respond, have affections like Jesus would have us do, and he wants us to grow in this. You say, Nate, I appreciate the message, but as I think about my life, there's lots of times I don't make excellent choices. I don't approve what is best. I get caught up in things that really don't matter. No one knows this, but I'm not living a, a pure life and my thought life and my affections, and I'm not living blameless, and I've, I've struggled. I've, I've had deep anxiety. I've had frustration and contempt, uh, contempt for people. I have vices in my life, and I, I'm not doing these things, and this just... This just doesn't make me feel very good. I came to Oak Park to feel good. Here's what I would say. Just ask the Father to help you love Jesus. Just say, Father, would you, would you help me love Jesus more? I, I just want to love Jesus more. Not some crazy strategic game. Just ask the Father who is good who wants to give to his kids what his kids ask for. And I want to grow in my love for Jesus. So, so here's what you could do. You could begin praying something like this. I pray, Father, that my love for Jesus would abound more and more so that I may understand as I'm constrained with knowledge and mature grasp of the gospel and constrained by discernment, moral insight, and as I perceive what is right and wrong, and help me in this love that I have that flourishes, that I will be able to approve and pursue what is right and excellent, what is best. And Father, help me to be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness for the day of Christ, to the glory and the praise of God that comes through Jesus Christ. I just want my life to be a life where I grow in my love for the things of God. I think that's a good prayer to pray for our own hearts. Let me pray for us now. Father, I pray that Oak Park would be full of men and women and boys and girls that just love Jesus. Father, the love that Joshua read from 1 Corinthians 13 the love that we see in Philippians chapter 1, the love that we read in John chapter 3, the love that we read about in 1 John chapter 3 is never a stagnant, passive, complacent love. It's always 
always a love that is action-oriented, moving. And Father, we are deeply grateful that when we were enemies, our love was not moving towards you, but it was moving towards ourselves. but you moved towards us. I'm so thankful. You moved towards us, and you saved us, not because of works of the law, not because of our own righteousness, not because of our own decisions, not because of us pursuing what is best, but in spite of who we are. You showered us with grace and mercy. Father, I pray that we'd be a people that would grow in our maturity and our grasp of this amazing, fierce, eternity-altering love that's found in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the new birth that we have in your Son. And may it shape us that we would be constrained and guided by the truth of your scriptures, that we would have all discernment. And Father, at the end of the day, you would get all of the credit. Father, we pray these things with expectancy and in the power of the Spirit. Amen. Let's stand as we close.